Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, interviews with the living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week, coming to us from the Catskills in New York is Douglas Robbins. He's an author of several books, including the Naricon, I hope I pronounced that right, the Cloak Deception series, and also Love in a Dying Town. So welcome, Douglas. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm great. How are you guys? We're good. We're very good. And uh, we are excited to wax intellectual with you. Our only standard real question that we ask is where were you raised? How old are you? And what generation, if any, do you feel you are a member of? Uh, I am 50, which is older than I would think I am, but I am 50. Um, I was raised in New Rochelle, New York, which is a suburb right outside of New York City. Um, I don't really identify with um, generations exactly. I kind of grew up in a town or, or a neighborhood that most of the kids were several years older than me. So maybe I identify with uh, I'm not even sure what generation that would be, but I grew up in the 70s and most of the kids were a good five years older than me. So um, whatever that puts me, I, I don't know. <laughs> no, that's a good answer. And that's what, kind of why I ask, because I think some people heavily identify and others don't. It's just kind of interesting to get to know where people feel they're situated. I've never identified strongly with a group. Awesome. Very cool. And uh, actually, yeah, that'll kind of pivot nicely into you're a writer, which means you're obviously independent and alone a lot um, as a fellow writer. So, <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, can you kind of walk us through like what uh, I know from reading your your website that, you know, you start out with like poetry when you were young and stuff. But like what were kind of the building blocks and the steps in your life to becoming a professional writer? Well, you know, it's funny because when I was young, uh, I wasn't great in school. I really wanted nothing to do with school. Uh, I didn't read a lot as a child. I really kind of shunned a lot of that, uh, of education and sort of that um, institution, if you will. Uh, again, not really wanting to be a part of some group or, or something. Uh, but ideas always fascinated me. Nature always fascinated me. I always felt, felt welcomed and, and uh, there was no judgment in nature. You don't have to uphold some label in nature. Uh, so you can be sort of a pure self. Uh, and you have time to ponder in nature. So that's really kind of a, a lot of where the impetus or the seeds were, were, were sown. Uh, but it wasn't until later in high school when a teacher asked us to, to write a poem that I found a, po a power in words, a power in ideas. Um, you know, and I shared it with my father, who I, I never felt like I got much uh, attention from or acknowledgement from. Uh, and I shared it with him and he even got a kick out of the poem. And I felt like, OK, here's here's something, there's something to this. Uh, and so as I sort of uh, evolved further into the college, et cetera, and, and got a little more mature, um, that's where sort of the writing, the ideas started flowing and I was in a band for a little while. So I was writing, you know, these heavy lyrics. Uh, and that's, uh, it seemed to be a place I was anchored in, almost had my roots in those ideas. And that's where I could flourish. Outside of that, I never really found much of interest or passion. I love playing baseball. Uh, but as far as ideas, 
writing seemed to be a, a sweet spot for me. That's awesome. That's really cool. And um, as far as like your nexus of where spirituality meets professionalism, were you raised religious? Did you like often, because uh, you mentioned nature, and to me, nature is almost a religion for some people, and it's not for others. So I'm just kind of curious, like, were you also raised with a real like normal standard religion? Or what was that, that kind of path for you? You know, it's curious because people forget that we're from nature, right? Everything else is man-made or human-made. Religion, I would say, is a man-made, you know, uh, premise. And, you know, consumerism, which many people sort of view as a religion, uh, their identities come from it. So I wasn't, you know, Jewish. I was raised, but I wasn't, you know, we went to temple a few times and it was never really an interest of mine. Uh, and I think my parents, you know, there were sort of progressives in the 70s and uh, kind of started vying away from that. And uh, it didn't seem like they were all that intrigued either. So I felt like I had the benefit and perhaps the shortcoming of the benefit of not being kind of within doctrines and dogmas. Uh, and then also perhaps the shortcoming of I didn't learn enough about um certain ideas that that you know uh, i i might have found interesting but so so not really a religion but it's very curious because I, again i'm i am jewish you know at least i view culturally and i was you know obviously brought up in that culture in that family and certain cousins etc are more serious uh, or committed to it but i did have one cousin and it was very curious uh, one cousin was actually a little younger than me I uh, said, well, you're not even Jewish. You, you're not even bar mitzvah. You know, how do you even say that you are? And it was like so interesting because people will take sides, will 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 be the judge and jury, you know, within their own minds. It's like, well, who are you to tell me I'm not? Even Jesus was Jewish and he wasn't, you know, he didn't give up, you know, uh, that religion. So, uh, but no, I did not. Uh, my thoughts were not formulated uh through religion or religious texts. That's cool. And I, I strongly identify with your answer. And similarly to you, I, I found great power in words and articulation and then, you know, obviously reading the other side of it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I guess now is a, a great time to ask you the only other standard question, which is what is your actual philosophy on uh, what comes after this? So we're all alive and then one day we know from this side of reality that we see someone die. And so the way I like to ask the question now, it's kind of changed over the course of the podcast is what do you think happens to you specifically when you die? So not other people, just what is your version for yourself? Well, you know, as I say, mourning is for the living. It is not for the dying. You know, my belief is, is energy transfers, right? It, it's not created. It doesn't die. Uh, it simply transfers into something else. So my view of death, my more macro view of death is simply that. I mean, we are spirits within these physical bodies and, poop, you know, at some point we die. And, you know, I'm really fascinated by uh, outer body experiences and or people who have experienced death or, or reincarnation. Uh, these things really fascinate me. Uh, I even did some past life regressions and I had always felt that I was murdered in another life or assassinated in another, in another life. Uh, but as far as do I think there's like a heaven and hell? No, I think those are absurd notions, uh, very antiquated. Um, I think we simply go back to the purity of, of the consciousness from which we came. 
That's a great answer. And now I get to pick it apart with lots of questions and not in a negative way, in a beautiful, supportive way, um, because I like what you said. I like it a lot. Um, actually, I just had my first ever past regression uh, therapy session um, literally like three days ago. So it's kind of good timing for you to mention that. So I'd actually love to start there. Um, first of all, what was your overall impression of the idea of it going in versus how the experience felt to you as you came out? Well, I had done it once before with someone maybe who wasn't as uh, skilled or as experienced uh, in it. But uh, I hired a lady recently who was connected to a show called, um, uh, what is it called? Uh, the Ghost in My Child. I don't know if you've watched the show, it's fascinating about children who are born with information uh, like other languages and, you know, know all sorts of information about something that happened, which obviously a two or three year old is not going to know. Um, but so it sort of went as in a way, I guess I would expect it to. But there was one really fascinating moment when she said, OK, you have to go back to the scene of death, um, which the idea that I've had in my life, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, forever is that I was a British merchant, like a well-to-do merchant. And I was in this big, vast sort of uh, wood library with beautiful wood shelves and ornate, you know, decorations. It was my, in my little home. And I know my wife was sort of in the other room uh, adjacent to it. And I was a merchant and, but I was also trying to overthrow the monarchy. And, so the monarchy became, and I knew while I was sitting there that they, that they were onto me, that someone had betrayed me. And a few minutes later in this past life regression, you know, the mob comes and, and takes us away and essentially, you know, stabs us and leaves me to die dripping with blood from my gut uh, for days with no food, et cetera. I don't know what happened to my wife, but it's very curious because in this life, um betrayal has sort of been something that has plagued my mind and that betrayal is if i fulfill a purpose this grand purpose that i was born with um i will be harmed or someone will harm me or someone will harm someone close to me uh and so it's been a heavy burden to carry it was very curious so there's one point of it once the death scene took place and I left and she said, okay, now leave the body. And this was the fascinating thing. So now I saw it was kind of up a way, you know, up above, above life, if you will, above, you know, the physical life. And I could see this timeline of other lives that I've lived. Thousands of them or however many, you know, I, I couldn't really see how many, but I could see these sort of little points on some sort of like cosmic, uh, you know, timeline. Uh, and it was fascinating because it was such a relief in a way. Um, and, you know, she said, well, ask the this person you were if it was all worth it you know, knowing what he knows, it gets a little, you know, esoteric or, or mystical, but, um, but it just seemed so real and vivid and, 
as if an experience that my cells know and hold on to. And so I asked him, like, well, was it worth it? I mean, you were murdered and your wife was probably murdered and who knows what else was hap- happened to her. And so he said, yes, it was because he also was aware of, again, getting back to your earlier question of what happens after death. Well, you're you're freed of physical suffering. And the whole purpose is you to fulfill whatever this divine spark is that we hold within us. So that that has given me some relief. Uh, Obviously, it's a dangerous world. and There's dangerous people out there, Putin right now, uh, you know, obviously invading uh, the Ukraine, a lot of innocent people dying, uh, putting a lot of protesters in prison. So there's obviously a little lot of bad, evil people. But as the old line is, you know, uh, evil wins when good people do nothing. So I think that that's the, the yeah, that's the uh, really the imperative, the moral imperative is we must overcome these fears that often keep us stuck and keep us in place. So fascinating uh, thing doing that. Was your past life uh, regression? inspiring exciting yeah. very inspiring very uh very inspiring not very exciting and again i'm not saying this to the detriment of the person who did it she was wonderful what's weird is that just like in real life i'm not i'm an incredibly imaginative person with ideas i'm not imaginative with visuals so i had like next to no visuals which was surprising to me i thought i was going to be like in a virtual reality chamber feeling the life of someone else instead and this is what really resonates is what you said i had a conversation with these people. Like I, I talked to these people, they weren't me. They were like these people. And I remember it was like a mind F, you know, I was kind of like, well, wait a second. Like I know your personality and I know you on this weird level, but almost like the way I know a best friend in this life, you know, like it was funny. Like he had knowledge of me too. So, but I, I was curious with the, um, you you made this, it was a beautiful phrase. You said the grand purpose and you spoke about it so quickly. You just kind of like said it the way I would say like, oh, the laundry list. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm curious, like what, do you believe that all humans have a grand purpose? Do you believe that you have a grand purpose? And do you think that each of us has a different grand purpose or when it boils down, is it all the same? I think it's the Hindus that say we're all uh, get a piece of Godhead or a piece of God. And collectively we fulfill this godhead do i think we all have a grand purpose i that's a question i've asked myself because some people seem very disconnected or just simply filled with anger and rage and hatred they say well what the heck's this person's uh, you know clearly they're very disconnected from it and i think that's what can happen is with the ego with pain suffering fear can really stifle any larger purpose so my guess is, yes, we're all born with it. However, uh, I think some, and I'm not including myself in this, are, are higher up in the spiritual evolution, uh, whereas some were perhaps more at the bottom or the, the uh, you know, those initial stages, uh, because some people just seem lost and have no purpose but you can also have no purpose again when you're disconnected from let's just say god or the divine uh and that divine spark within because we can snuff it out we can quiet it we can you know again kind of smother it with our own fears and ego 
uh, and disbelief of it. So I think so, but I think as with all things, there's evolutionary scales. Some are higher up, some are lower down, and you know, a lot of us are in the middle. Yeah, and I try to make peace with this because I'm not into elitism, and yet I recognize and believe the same thing you do, which is that there's like a sliding scale to it. So the way I look at it now, to, to so I can sleep at night and not feel some sense of elitism is that like, just like you wouldn't stare at a child and make fun of them because they don't know how to behave like an adult or how to do adult things. You also can't look at a certain person's trajectory because you don't know where they are in this long continuum. But I do feel like we all have the same continuum. And so therefore it's, it can't be elitist. It has to just be uh, patience with other people. You know, I'm a big believer in, in there's an interconnectedness as a collectivism. Uh, you know, we appear to be different. Okay, you're Mike and I'm Doug and, and whomever is whoever. But, you know, there's all a, a part of us is all connected um, via DNA or energetically. Um, but I'm a big believer in that there's an interconnectedness. So e even, you know, Russians or Canadians or whomever, I mean, it's not really relevant. Those are the labels we put on things to separate ourselves. But that's not the true definition or essence of what it is to be alive or to be human. Um, it's, it's curious because I've done a couple of shows on this and it's like there's an interconnectedness or even a DNA that we share with trees or flowers or slugs or, you know, or, or fish. You know, trees, I think we have 50% DNA. So, like, that's like saying it's kind of like a cousin of mine, a distant cousin. Um, dolphins, I think we share like 80% DNA. So it's really fascinating that we are the same, uh, at least 50% with trees and 80% with dolphins. So there is an interconnectedness uh, or a shared, um, you know, information cellular level uh, that all living creatures share. Yeah, and then... So because you've had past life regression and you seem to believe in, in multiple lives, um, I'd like to, to task you with the impossible question of answering. Uh, you spoke about like with your father, and I think, first of all, as a, as a father and a son, I, I believe there's something intrinsically like interesting about men relationships, father and son especially. Like There's this, like I want to know you, but I don't know you, and I can't know you. So I'm just curious with your father, but then I also want to extend it to your own child and to your wife. So I'm asking three different directions. Do you feel like you're naturally closer to these people through some soul experience, or is it DNA? So the reason I added your wife to the mix is obviously she's not from your family, but now she is your family. So can you kind of wax on that? Like, talk about that. You know, when someone is blood, you know, let's say as my father was, uh, you know, there's sort of an intrinsic belief or understanding uh, of a bond that you share. And that's why, as a child, you look to this sort of godlike creature to bring light to your life, to bring encouragement, to acknowledge you uh, as, you know, sort of the patron of your life. Uh, and often that doesn't happen. Obviously, parents are, are, are damaged and bring their own baggage and you know, they're struggling with whatever uh, shortcomings as well or the things they didn't get as kids, et cetera. Um, so I think regarding that bond, you know, I came from him, obviously. 
you feel like, well, there should be some unconditional love, unconditional bond. Uh, but often that gets frayed or, or, or damaged when you look at them and they, they frown at you or they, you look at them and, and they don't give you whatever. Or you say, hey, look at what I've done today. And they shun it or reject it. Right? That's heartbreaking because they're the ones that you expect the most support from. They're the ones that are providing sort of that, um, that foundational worldview, not of just the world, but of yourself in the world, your place in the world. Uh, so that's where I think self-esteem often comes from. I felt like, you know, I because I didn't get that as a child from him, I went into the world broken and afraid because I was at home not getting whatever. So sheesh, the scary world's not going to give it to me. Um, but regarding my, my wife, um, you know, there's, I'm just going to be honest, you know, we're all transparent. And this is, that's the point of these conversations, that truth and there's vulnerability, uh, in truth. And so with my wife, sure. Uh, you know, like sometimes we feel greatly bonded. It's a great love affair we have. Uh, but at sometimes when I'm in a darker place, feeling isolated or, or maybe a little distant from her, or she's, you know, angry at whatever, you know, those are harder places. Cause that's where the mind starts saying, Oh, this isn't going to work. Or, Hey, maybe she get divorced, you know, because there's that part of us that wants to go into hiding when it's hurting or afraid and say, no, no, I'm just going to be over here in the corner alone. So love once again, is that vulnerable place, obviously. Uh, and similar w with a child. Um, you know, I had a little tiff with my daughter. <laughs> she did something that, you know, I was kind of shocked by and I said something to her and then her feelings were hurt. And so then you both get angry, but then five minutes later you say, Hey, let's, let's be cool. And we apologize. And then we're, we're fun and goofy again. Um, so it's funny where you can get that sort of unconditional support, love, acknowledgement, and you would think naturally, almost unconsciously, that you would get it from someone whose blood, father, mother, whatever. Uh, but in fact, those were the most damaging people. And so that's that's sort of the line that I have is like, you know, family is the greatest thing and can also be the most damaging thing to you um, or can be the hardest on you. Uh, because there's also so much... Um, awareness of each other you know my sister and i really know how to push each other's buttons right so and sometimes those are places you want to avoid and strangers might be more supportive of you more caring and say hey you know doug i think you're this great guy over here when sometimes we're not carrying great beliefs about ourselves and we need someone from the outside to remind us hey no you really are uh, a good guy so again whether it's parents or, or some surrogates, um, hopefully we all find that because, my goodness, it's life's hard enough. So it's hard to get through life in an inspired manner when only people are around you who are perhaps toxic or, or tearing you down. Yeah. Wow. And I have two questions I'm dying to ask you that they do tie in. So I'm going to hope the first one probably is just a yes or no question. So is your grand purpose in this life to be a writer? I've thought about this a lot, and I think the answer is no. 
tell me why, please. I'd love to hear this. The right, the writing is is um, is a mode or a medium. So no, writing was not, and I still don't think it. It is. I think it's an offshoot, but I don't think it's the main thrust. I think the main thrust is is liberating people from trap trappings of dogma and dogma i I did an episode a few weeks ago dogma is anything that we get trapped in so it doesn't have to be about religion we often associate it with religion but it could be consumerism or how we think work needs to be oh you need to work 40 50 80 hours a week i mean that needs to be your your life and these are all trappings of dogma and dogma as you know is inflexible yeah i love that answer you're uh, clearly a gifted and talented articulator and obviously writer goes along with that so i guess my last question before i'm going to give you the floor is is heavily related to this and it was still the question i wanted to ask you which is we talked about support and so you're um you're a writer and i'm a writer and the level of support for writing is all over the place and everyone's experience is different so i'm just kind of curious um how have you dealt with, I'm assuming, the immense rejection that most writers face and go through? And how do you feel about that whole process? But, I, but specifically with what we were talking about with support, like when, uh, so, so again, not to ask 5 million questions at once, but I did want to also just touch on the fact that the internet can be very friendly and it can be very, very mean. And so I'm just kind of curious about all of that. You know, write, writing, the process of writing is a beautiful process. It's like floating on a river and you're having a good time and you're looking around, you're writing things down. Some days are a little more challenging than others. If you're stuck in a scene or whatever it might be, but writing is this wonderful personal experience. Once you kind of move on from that and say, Oh, I'd like it to be published and I'd like people to read it and maybe even pay me for it. That's where the challenge is. Right. Uh, and that's where the struggle is because now we're saying, Hey world, care about me look at me aren't i special and you have 16 billion other people doing the same thing uh it is a i'm not gonna you know mince words it is a daunting process uh i still don't really have it down uh to a point um but you know i i I need to be better with say networking not you know writers are, are typically introverted so they're not it's not natural for them to try to market their books because that's a that's a more extrovert type of personality but you do have to be consistent and persistent uh and hold on to the belief that it's a worthwhile endeavor um and also like again it's it's a tricky thing so i'm gonna you know when i was younger and probably just a few years ago learned what i was doing and sometimes we do things unconsciously or subconsciously. So I was asking the world to validate me the way my parents never did. And so I was always heartbroken. Well, why isn't this or that happening? Because that's not the design of the world. So this is where, to get back to your question of the blood or father or, or mother, um, often you don't get whatever. And now you kind of look to all these external sources that aren't looking to offer you that they're just saying, Hey, is your book good or bad? Or do they like it? Or, you know, you know, is there shortcomings or does it need more editing? You know, whatever it might be. 
um, you know, everyone's just caught up in their own selfish world, you know. Um, but writing is, you know, it's a daunting process. I mean, if, if one really wants to be successful, um, you know, it's like anything else. If it's a burning passion, yeah, nothing is going to get in your way. But if you start focusing on the pitfalls, the potholes, the rejections, you know, your, your, your mind is in the wrong place. And, you know, it's a, it's tough. I mean, it's a tough battle, no getting around it. And every day it is a battle. It is not, you know, I mean, if we were all Stephen King, but you know, this is a thing that does trouble me, um, has troubled my mind is like, okay, this is part of the purpose. You know, let's say it's a seed in the garden. Okay. I'm trying to water it. I'm trying to get sunlight on it. That's all I can do. Right. I, I can't I can't also buy the books, you know. Um, right. So, I mean, it, it's it's a tough practice. I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on it? Uh, very similar. Um, and I think, you know, especially because I was actually I taught writing. So I have an MFA and I, you know, taught writing in different phases and stuff. And there's nothing harder than a talented young writer coming to you and asking you for advice because, just like my professors weren't able to help me, I'm not able to help them. I can encourage them. I can tell them they're great. I can tell them they're terrific, but there's a lot of luck. There's a lot of persistence. And then there's also just this, you really, really summed it up. Unless it's the most burning, fiery passion in your life, you're going to get distracted by um, relationships, uh, cheeseburgers. Like, you know, I mean, just like life is very rich. And so I think the most singularly minded artists definitely accelerate and get to a top that I personally don't think I'll ever reach. There's like, uh, you know, these people who you can just tell their, their passion outweighs their desire to be around other people, to have a family, to like live comfortably, you know? Um, so yeah, so I, I strongly agree with you. And then I think, you know, the part that is really interesting to me is I think there is like a spirituality and a peacefulness that comes when you give up the attachment to the outcome and you admit that what you said, like you're floating on a river and some days are harder than others, but like, that's your river. And that's, your, you know, you like swimming and, uh, you know, I'm not jealous of my friends who work in finance. <laughs> like Their struggle is different, but, uh, yeah. You know, what, one more thing, if I would, if I could with that, you know, again, it's easy to smother that beauty that we carry within us. It's easy to, to have rejection and doubts because we, we interpret the world not honoring us where they didn't enough books weren't sold or whatever as a reflection of who we are or the content of our character or the content of our writing. And it really has nothing to do with that. But, but our mind will go, yeah, you suck. You're terrible. Why are you even buying? But it's so important to honor, again, this sacred thing within us, the sacred voice, the sacred space, the sacred information. And, you know, I have all sorts of stories. My goodness, I have dozens of stories. Some of maybe probably have 10, 10 you know, two or three novels half written. I have other short stories. You know, some of them I just haven't been able to get back to because, as you know, writing is a long game. Um, but it's so essential to protect our garden. So it's sort of like, you know, when you see a garden with a fence around it, you know, keep deer out it's kind of the same thing. We, we must at all costs protect our garden because essentially we're protecting 
the essence of who we are. And if we give that up, we're left with nothing but loss and confusion. A few years ago, I had written, this 20 plus years ago, I'd written a book called Dawn. I had moved to New York City. I didn't know enough about being resilient or adapting or asking for help. And I wrote, it was a sweet love story about young love, two kids in college, and the, the girl's mother was dying of cancer. So there was sort of a, uh, you know, a tug of war with, with love and family dynamics. And I, I sent it out to some agents, really didn't get anywhere, got crickets, uh, a couple form letters. And it was heartbreaking to me. And I was like, well, what's the point of this life? I don't want to hear it anymore. And I stopped writing. And I was totally lost because I lost the thing that I cared about. And I thought the, the, the rejection was truth and that the ideas, the stories coming to me were lies, meaning they were lies as far as well, they're not going to get anywhere. And so, like, I was felt like a pawn. And it was this horrible, defeated place. And for years, I did not write. No, stories and ideas would come to me. I said, no, I don't want to hear it. And a few years just sort of went by of me just being absolutely lost. Eventually, the stories, the writing came back. And I said, okay. You know, the old line, if you lose something, it comes back to you, it's yours. Well, this was uh, an example of that. And um, there are times when I still say, well, what's the point? You know, it's, I'm not successful enough or, or whatever it might be. Um, but it, it's a slippery slope and it's a dangerous discussion even to allow because it's like, you know, and there are bad days. Why am I doing this? Well, you're doing it because this is who you are. This is who you are. Yeah. Wow. That resonates so deeply with me. Yeah. That's, that's been, I didn't have a midlife crisis, but that was the last year of my life heading into turning 40. Cause you know, there's this number on a calendar and it just stands out there and you hear it your whole life. And, and I really was thinking, should I quit? Should I keep going? What am I doing? Um, so yeah, this has been a fantastic conversation. I do want to give you uh, a quick, a minute or two to uh, just kind of address the overall audience. You seem to be very into like unifying people, which is obviously my only goal as well. So I would just love to hear your thoughts, um, whatever they are. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think a lot of people feel isolated and yes, writing is an isolating practice, but I think people feel isolated. Our culture is really designed to isolate. It is not designed to unify. Uh, and I think that's a real shortcoming of our education system because that's really where it starts. And um, the this is where you get indoctrinated into that sort of consumer mentality of the external is where <clears throat> salvation is going to be found. Buying your fancy car, having your house, having, you know, uh, whatever fancy college degree and the kids in the house and the, and the fencing. Um and it's an illusion. Yes, that's nice. That can enhance your life for sure. Money can certainly enhance your life and, and will, but it's a trapping as well. And this is why so many people work crazy hours. They don't know how not to work crazy hours. They don't know how to relax. They don't know how to be in nature without being on their phones. Uh, and this is a real disconnection that people have. And we all suffer from to whatever degree because we have allowed culturally, you know, in the East, it's more 
the spirit is more, you know, sort of involved in, in the day-to-day and meditation practices. Uh, and, you know, what are we doing with our podcast? We're trying to unify people. A lot of people are trying to do this right now, life coaching. A lot, a lot of, you know, things are popping up all over the place that didn't exist 10, 20 years ago. And I think it's because also through COVID, people have realized, huh, is this really the direction I want of my life and the country or my family? And I think a lot of people are saying, you know, I'm missing out on things that are important here because we're all so wrapped up in making a buck and paying the bills and paying the mortgage. Well, we're, we'll all become trapped then in that. And there's less time for writing, less time for beauty, less time for love. Um, and so I, I'm just really encouraged that we're all moving in this direction. That's so great. Thank you so much. That was absolutely beautiful. So was every pretty much thought you had during this podcast. Um, I really strongly encourage people to check out Douglas Robbins. Uh, You can find all of his books very easily. And if you just search his name, he'll come right up. Uh, He also has the podcast, which he just mentioned. And uh, obviously, he's a wonderful human. So support him. Uh, To everyone else uh, listening, uh, thank you again. Douglas, thank you for helping us put a nail in the coffin. Uh, The best way to support this podcast is just to simply subscribe to it. And to everyone listening, just try a little harder try to be nice and supportive to yourself and to others and uh my name is mike oppenheim you have been listening to coffee talk and we will see you soon